It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no sheets. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in a fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a redoubt of resourcefulness <laughs> in a ruthless world. That's right. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700, wow, 700, 740, believe it or not. 740. Right. Posts, videos, and podcasts. Busy beavers. On medical preparedness <laughs> for any disaster. I'm a geezer on the go, and I'm going... To put a medically prepared person in every family if it kills me. No, it will not kill you. Darn it. (laughs) It's going to make you last longer, honey. And you? (laughs) I am Amy Alton. I am also known as Nurse Amy, and I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. That's right. The hostess with the most is sweet as candy and just as bad for your teeth, because <laughs> she'll probably knock them out for you if no, you don't agree with her. I'm a very nice person. You are indeed a very nice person. <laughs> That's true. Hey, have you been injured in an accident with a cacophonous cockatoo? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right, don't listen to us, for goodness sake. Why would you do that? That's silly. Well, sometimes they should. Actually, some of this stuff should make a lot of sense to you guys out there. I hope so. That is, if you have some common sense in you to begin with. <laughs> hmm. They do, they do. Right. I will vouch for the audience. They have common sense, yes. All right. Remains to be seen. They're, they're listening to this show, so. Well, that's true. Well, I we, and we do appreciate it. Thank you, folks. We appreciate it. Hey, got something to share with the class? Well, come on down. You are the yeah. next contestant. We learned as much from you guys as you do from us, so please connect with us. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. You can connect with us anytime by email at dr. That stands for doctor. Dr. Bones, like the bones in your body. 
podcast. That's what you're listening to. P-O-D-C-A-S-T at AOL.com. You can also find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom. We also have a Joe Alton, MD, Facebook page. That's right. That's your personal account. Yep. <laughs> Feel free to friend me. Yeah. I'm, I'm a friendly guy. You sure are. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and our bi-monthly, that's once a week on, let's see, not once a week, once on Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month, and the second show is first the and, third, first third and Wednesday. First third Wednesday of every month. At com. Okay, well, we actually went to the Urban Farming Institute today and that was pretty interesting in Broward County that's right we spent a little time there looking at the Oakland Park Florida Mm -hmm. urban farming institute and basically it's a bunch of people that get together and do a little farming yes uh, it's quite a unique situation because Broward County we found out has Zero agricultural land. Right. Less than 10 acres total that is used for growing any food. Right. But percentage-wise, apparently it's zero. And they're designated as 100% urban. I know. This is... is terrible. It's a horrible, awful thing. And so these people are trying to get the community... Of course, they only serve that one city, but perhaps other cities will see what a wonderful thing it is. And people who have a house who actually live in Oakland Park, can get a plot. Now, the plot that you're given is basically one, I would say it's four by eight, raised bed. Uh They help provide the soil. So they have a special soil mix that they do, and it has, uh, of course, some organic soil. It has um, some... uh, pine bark was, right. I think, an interesting they use pine bark, right. uh, thing. And they've they've made their own formulas for fertilizer. I'm not sure if I 100% agree with them, but, you know, hey, listen, what works for them works for them. What works for me works for me. And, you know, it's like making a, a chicken noodle soup. <laughs> some I, people put carrots in it. Some people put celery. You know, it all turns out good in the end. And so why did we show up there? Well, you know why? Because we are actually master gardeners through the county's agricultural extension office and it allows us to attend certain programs and like there was a program at the urban farming institute and so we got to see uh, the way some people grew their particular foods vegetables or whatever it is that they happen to like to grow right well again it's it's part of a community service and people can grow food. You know, most people don't have enough space on their their land that they live in. Or a lot of people are in apartments or in condos, and they just don't have the space to do it. So this enables people who have an interest in gardening to be able to go. And, again, there are people who are resources at this location. Right. And, and they're, you know, sort of the wise gardeners. And yes. So that the novices and the newbies can go and say, you know, I want to plant these things and they can get some guidance. But I will say that it was interesting that the people who are running it didn't feel um, a necessity to absolutely demand that 
these people grow certain things. And, and we know from experience, you and I, right. Joe, that there are things that don't do so well in South Florida. Exactly. But they allow them to try. And I saw that there was a lot of squash and watermelons planted. And they'd obviously been planted probably, I'd say, in the summer, which is the absolute worst time to plant squash uh, watermelon, powdery, cantaloupes. Yeah, powdery mildew. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not the planting season. We actually do have a, a, a backwards planting uh, season for Florida, especially way down here in South Florida. Right. And so those things, if you're going to try to grow them, which there's not a lot of varieties that are going to do well down here because of what you just said, uh, they get a lot of diseases. We'll just call it diseases. Um, you need to plant them around now. That's true. Actually, so, because they like cooler weather. Right. Normally, and weather is hopefully coming. Normally, we do yeah. get some cooler weather. I've seen on television that this has been the hottest November. I don't know of how long, but they said the hottest November. I'd have to look that up. But normally, we're a little bit cooler. December's a little bit cooler. January is usually beautiful. And the types of foods uh, like broccoli and um, uh, cauliflower and your melons, you do like it a little bit cooler. Yes. And when we say cooler, folks, you have to understand we're not talking 30 degrees or 40 degrees. We're talking 70s. Right. We're we're in grow zone 11. (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Pretty subtropical. um, I may have to disagree with them. I believe that. 10B That we're in 10B. Yeah. I don't know where he came up with this 11, but we're we're in 10B. So, you know, there are just certain times. But but it's nice that they allow these uh, newbie growers to experiment and to try to grow. And you know what? Lesson learned. You know where we found that? And that's the good point. You know where we found that? In Europe, a lot of, during our travels over the last few years. That is a routine thing for people who live in uh, city environments, that they have um, community farm areas, and each family is designated a plot. And it's not just a small raised bed. It's it's a a good-sized plot. What would we call it? Maybe a eighth of an acre a tenth of an acre it's not yeah it's not not much maybe um 30, 20, 20 maybe 20 by 40 30 yeah i was gonna say 30 by 50 yeah. it, obviously it varies from city to city right but a decent size and especially if you learn to grow vertically yes then you, you can, can and grow this a is, significant amount of stuff and we saw a lot of uh, trellises mm-hmm. that were being utilized so the sure. people were growing upright and basically, if you have something like a watermelon or a, a squash or a cantaloupe that wants to spread all over the place, especially the, the watermelon and the cantaloupe, that you can take the vines and you can train them up a trellis so that you can still get your fruit. Uh, you may have to give it a little bit of support. Uh, I remember when we had uh, one of our first melons, I took a pantyhose and I cut a segment, and I tied the bottom in a I knot. I remember, yeah. And then we supported, supported the, melon, the melon, and then as it grew, yeah. tied the top of it onto the yeah. trellis, so it would still be elastic and be able to grow, but it would not just fall right off the vine because it was up in the air. And, and these things in nature grow along the ground, and so the fruit is sitting 
on the ground and it doesn't need extra support. So that's why we support the, we the fruit. Because we do grow a lot of stuff larger. yes. And we do because we have a limited amount of, of space. And that is the way you get the most out of your space is to grow up. Right. And you do have a lot of videos on... Uh, YouTube of a number of things that you've grown mostly vertically. Yes. And uh, those uh, in containers. And you've mm -hmm. done quite a bit. And some of them are very, very popular videos. They have actually hundreds of thousands <laughs> of views. Yeah. And, and by the way, just so people know, the reason why we're talking about all this, I mean, people It's because we went to a garden today and we yeah. saw the food growing. Right. And we and are... in South Florida. <laughs> and we are members of the Master Gardener Program through the county's Agricultural Extension Office. And we believe strongly that if you're going to be the medic, that you should have an idea of how to put together a good garden of, if not just food, uh, medicinal herbs. And we saw a lot of herb gardens uh, along with the, uh, the t vegetable gardens that mm -hmm. we saw today. You know, my valerian is doing very well. That's right. And valerian root is excellent for um, decreasing anxiety and also to help sleep. So... I'm not picking it because I want it to continue to grow, but, you know, there are good things that you can grow in your grow zone. You need to figure it out. Uh, I think people in Florida have the biggest challenge, at least in the South Florida. Um, probably Southern Texas has issues. Um, but you, you folks that live more north of this probably can grow just about anything you want if you plan it at I know. Lucky the right you. time. Right. And one thing I would love to grow that I just can't find a variety that will grow is lavender. And it just frustrates me so much. We do have millions of acres of Malaleuca, which is also commonly known as tea tree. And anyone who's familiar with tea tree oil, right. you know all of the great benefits of that. So I'll be able to have as much tea tree oil as I want if I'm willing to distill it. But the advice is to go ahead and buy your oils now because plant material and the effort that you will put into making essential oils just a little bit of them. would be better spent with the effort and time with your food crops so try if you're into oils or you want to get into oils and you feel something is coming up in the future that may disrupt your ability to get them or to purchase them please get your oils now uh, at least start with a handful and get to know them and use them and try them out and then move on. Don't buy 100 all at once because you're going to be overwhelmed. But definitely get your, your oils. But going back to medicinal gardening, you do need to find out what grows, not only what you can grow, what you could put around your house in your garden beds. Some of these are flowers. They're beautiful plants. And you could put them in your landscaping. No one's going to walk by your house and go, oh, that's lavender. That should not be planted in your front yard. Of course it is. It's, it's beautiful. And so get these plants, the medicinal plants, incorporated into your garden and find out what grows naturally around you. Maybe at the park down the street, there's something that grows there that you didn't even realize. That medicinal value. That has medicinal value that, you know, you can put on a piece of paper and and map out where you found these things and your sources for them. And someday you might actually need to go harvest them to make right. a cure or a remedy for some medical issue that you don't have a pill for. But we really we feel so strongly that people should be 
putting together a good medicinal garden that we oh, actually yeah, our book awesome. has sections of our book are related specifically uh, to you, that and and it's just always a starter it's it's suggestions it's a good list to begin with and find out if you can plant all these if you can oh, amazing I'm so happy and I, I wish you the best of luck but you may not be able to get all of them to grow beautifully in your your garden although don't give up right away just because you've picked a spot to plant something doesn't mean the plant's going to be happy there it may need a little bit less sun or a little bit more shade or maybe there's a, a area of your your garden that maybe gets a little extra nutrients or rain and it's not quite under a tree so it gets a little more sunshine so find out where these plants are are best grown and plant a whole bunch of them in that area right right plant right place that's right absolutely absolutely right so not only do you have now food now we have our vegetables for dinner <laughs> yay but what else should is I tell, should i tell everybody what i planted huh what i just planted should i tell sure. okay wow we have uh, several varieties of tomatoes. I won't go over them. We have onions, cilantro, sage, um, rosemary, thyme. Uh, you're going to have to help me out here. I had I planted uh, my... Peppers. F- you got peppers. Lots of you the peppers. Cucumbers. Many, many in. different um, cucumbers. Carrots. Oh, I, I planted two kinds of carrots, uh Several onions. I'm I'm really hoping that they grow nicely. I've had some really beautiful onions yes. in the past. Yes. Some oh big giant beautiful amazing onions. onions and they're just so so cool to watch. But my Swiss chard is something called bright lights. And the veins inside of the Swiss chard are either red, red, or yellow, orange, or orange, yellow. Yeah, they're a very ornamental, absolutely beautiful ornamental plant, and uh, you can delicious. Cook it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Swiss chard is is yummy good. We also planted some peanuts. Oh yeah, yeah, we had yeah. some raw, pe- raw peanuts. We've done that in the past. We yeah. had we and had a few peanuts. Yeah, well, this sure. time we really did a lot of them because yeah. we we're just hankering to get some peanuts. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how it works. I'm but, very excited about I'm that. And I'm excited we I didn't have positive some, didn't it. have some carrots last year. You know, I have to rotate. I don't have acres and acres. I have a limited amount of space. So I have to pick what I'm gonna grow. Oh and I did a whole container of different varieties of beans mm-hmm. and and peas. Well, that, beans and peas. Wow. So who knows? They're gonna just grow up all mishmashy together and and We'll just pick them. And then, oh, I had the rogue tomato plant that was about five inches tall oh. before we left <sighs> for Gatlinburg on October 16th we left. Yeah, it's a cherry tomato. It puts out a really good one, too. And when we got back on Tasty November one. 7th or 8th. It was a monster. It It is full of hundreds of flowers. Hundreds. I can't tell you guys how many flowers it, it's just it went from this tiny little gee i see a tomato plant over there how'd that get there to bam here comes yeah. it and it already has some fruit starting all right that's yeah, awesome some, i call it fruit because tomatoes are fruit <laughs> right very, very smart a little something that not everybody knows possibly that's true that's true <clears throat> so yeah so we have all this stuff for dinner and i want to ask you what else for dinner could it be frankenfish well 
Federal regulators on Thursday approved a genetically modified uh, salmon. Officially, a final approval as fit for consumption. It makes it the first genetically altered animal to be cleared for American supermarkets and dinner tables. And wait, let me ask you a question. How, how do you feel about this? I know you're going to explain to people what's going on, but, but in your gut, how, how do you really feel about this? Seriously. You know, I feel personally that if you are using these to feed people that would otherwise starve to death, okay. I think it might be a good thing. And... And that's fine. Uh-huh. However, whether I believe it's the healthiest choice or whether uh, healthiest choice either personally from a nutritional standpoint or ecologically, because uh, these animals are, in my opinion, probably going to escape. Get and, out. But yes. still, we're going to, I'm going to be able, I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. I know and you are. Why, why they. I wanted your gut feeling right. first. What but did that, you, your gut feeling is if you're in a starving country that it's okay to do this because then they actually have food and they won't die. It's to save humanity. Right. I understand this. If, but, I, if we're using it to feed the world, great. If it's you're using it to feed your family, you might be a little more picky. Okay, let's say that, that two pieces of salmon were in front of you and they were equal price, not more expensive and not cheaper, but equal price, and one was wild-caught wild salmon I, I would pick and wild one caught. was of GMO. Of course I would pick wild-caught. But Why? Because, why? I want to know why. Because I'm Mr. Natural. That's what they call me. That's my nickname. They, is it a scientific thing? Is it is what 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 makes you want to eat the natural one versus the GMO? Because I don't know all of the specifics as uh-huh. to how they were how they are grown, uh-huh. how they uh, uh, are farmed. These right. farm salmon. You know, I mean, they. I. It wouldn't surprise me if they're in terrible conditions, like a we lot have of seen. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> chicken is. We've also uh, seen it, some fish farms, right? Although I will say that the ones that we've seen, the ha- those are hatcheries. They were, ha- they were hatcheries. I, those are not for uh, processing fish. They were actually very well kept. We've yes. seen two of those. Uh, one was in Washington State, and one was in. Oregon. <laughs> or, Oregon, but we Oregon. also, and many years ago we saw some in uh, North Carolina and Pisgah and oh, that's Nantahala right. National Forest. That's right. Forest. Well, we love to visit those. Yes. We just yeah. love to yeah. see how fish are hatched and grown. Well, let me tell you so, about oh, wait, the salmon. Do you want to hear my gut feeling? Maybe. <laughs> All right. I tell you what. Why don't you explain to the folks what and the heck this maybe is? Maybe I can convince you. You All right. Well, All you right. explain to the folks what this is. And right. I'll, I'll listen carefully. All right. And then I will tell you my gut feeling. All right. So this is a salmon that's been genetically modified so that it grows to market size faster than a non-engineered farm salmon. As a matter of fact, if I could show you a picture of one of them, one against the other, the GMO salmon could eat its litter mate, you know, or or its uh, age mate, or I don't know what uh, the the salmon that was born on the same day, but was a Not non-GMO. non-GMO. They basically what they did. Uh, this is a company called Aqua Bounty. Um, says it's mar- a salmon grow to market size in half the time of conventional salmon. Saves time and saves resources. It's, Cost twenty five or twenty to twenty five percent less salmon chow, I guess, or whatever they call it, in order to feed them uh, to, uh, to growth, uh, full growth. And it's essentially an Atlantic salmon that has a Pacific salmon gene for faster growth, and a gene from an eel-like fish called the ocean pout, P O U T, 
that grows year round, which uh, salmon seem to have a part of the time of the year where they grow more than other times of the year. So it's sort of interesting what they've managed to put together. And the fish is called the Aqua Advantage Salmon. And so the approval for the fish uh, requires that the fish be raised only in certain designated uh, contained hatcheries that are in uh, right now in Canada and Panama. There are none in the United States. Uh, all of the fish are going to be female fish and reproductively sterile to prevent inadvertent breeding of the genetically modified fish with wild salmon. So they managed to do what they did in, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Jurassic Park, not the recent one, but the last one. Basically, that's what they did, is they put together the genes for the dinosaurs that they made, and they made them all female, so theoretically there would not be able to be bred. Now, of course... They use some frog DNA, and the frog, some frogs can actually reproduce asexually, and they all produce females. That is a process uh, for you scientific types known as parthenogenesis. And uh, some lizards do it, some uh, frog frogs do it, uh, some lower animals do it as well. And so theoretically, that means that you should never have to be worried about these things escaping and getting into the general population and at least breeding with anything. Now, the approval by the Food and Drug Administration caps a long struggle with Aquabounty Technologies, which is a small company, first approached the FDA about approval in the 1990s. Uh, and uh, the agency originally sort of made an initial determination the fish is probably safe to eat. Several years ago, we actually wrote an article about this back then, and it sort of actually surprised me that it's taken this long for uh, this to be approved finally. But it has taken that long because the approval of the salmon has been fiercely opposed by consumer groups, environmental groups, who have argued that safety studies were inadequate and that indeed wild salmon populations might be affected if the engineered fish escape into the oceans or rivers. So these are this has led to a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, among uh, people of uh, the Center for Food and Drug Safety, the um, director of uh, Food and Water Watch considers an, uh, an unfortunate and historic decision that disregards the vast majorities of uh, the opinions of consumers and scientists and uh, salmon growers throughout the world. I guess this is a, a definite threat to them. So anyhow, this is the first such approval for an animal whose DNA has been scientifically modified. And uh, just so you know, Aqua Bounty's product is not going to require any special label labeling. It's nutritionally equivalent to a conventional farm-raised Atlantic salmon, the FDA says. And that's going to be an issue that drives some people absolutely nuts, that you won't even know if it's a GMO-altered salmon you're going to be getting from the store. So don't worry about it showing up on your supermarket next week. It's probably going to take another year or so. Some supermarkets aren't going to sh uh, stock it at all. Kroger the world's national, uh, the, the na nation's rather largest traditional grocery chain has no intention of sourcing or selling genetic engineered salmon. 
Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, they're not going to carry the product, and so will uh, a lot, uh, and a number of other places are not going to actually consider stocking the salmon. Now, that's for now. We don't know what will happen in the future. But in any case, the chief executive of Aqua Bounty says that their engineered, genetically engineered salmon is a game changer, and they claim that it'll bring healthy and nutritious food to consumers in an environmentally responsible manner. They think that it's not going to damage the ocean and other marine habitats. Let's hope they're right. Okay, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and... Nurse Amy! That's right. Hey, Prepper, old Dr. Bones here. Are you the only one in your family interested in preparedness? Why not get the whole family involved in a fun way by playing Doom and Bloom's new board game, Survival? In Doom and Bloom's Survival, you're living in a post-pandemic world. Your mission is to search for food, fuel, weapons, medical supplies, and survivors. You'll scout neighboring towns for a place to find safe haven, but watch out, because there are raiders out there that want what you have, and you'll have to overcome a lot of challenges to win the game. In survival, there are no zombies, demons, or wizards, just a real post-disaster scenario and real survival decisions. Find out more about our game and get one of the first copies ever made by going to survivalboardgame.com. Can you succeed when everything else fails? You'll find out in Doom and Bloom Survival. And we're back. You're listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with Nurse Amy and that old Dr. Bones. <laughs> you know, last week we talked a little bit about emergencies and when a person collapses, what do you do? And we talked about the situation where someone may be having a heart attack. Now, we talked a little bit about that. A heart attack is caused by a blockage in blood flow to a portion of the heart. And, of course, this can be a mild event. It can be a severe, a severe event. It can certain cause the loss of heart muscle that loses oxygenation if you don't do something and take some quick action. Common symptoms of heart attacks are chest, left arm, jaw pain, tightness, uh, shortness of breath, light headedness. These are some of the things that you'll see there. Now, if somebody complains of heart attack symptoms, of course, you want them to chew an adult aspirin or four baby aspirins. We mentioned that at the very end of the last show, as well, of course, as any cardiac medications like nitroglycerin that they might have stockpiled. And I also want uh, everyone to research cayenne pepper extract, that that has been shown to help reduce the effects of uh, the blockage of the, um, the clot. That's right. Absolutely right. Somehow now, it increases blood flow around the clot and maintains the cardiac tissue health. Excellent. Excellent idea. Now, uh, you want to place that person, let's say a person who actually is having a heart attack, of course, the first thing they do is stop making them do any kind of exertion. You want to loosen clothing. You want to get them in a semi-recumbent position, probably in about a 75 degrees position with the knees bent in like a a W maybe would be a position that would be Mm -hmm. good. And of course, keeping somebody calm, as calm as possible at least, is going to help decrease further strain on the heart. Right. Now, one thing I want to mention about this W position 
is I think the common feeling is you find somebody who's clutching their chest and having trouble difficult uh, trouble breathing and, and difficulty breathing is you immediately want to lay victims down on right. their back. It's I think it's the natural instinct. Oh, you don't feel well here. Lay down. And I just want to, again, emphasize that this W position and what Dr. Bones is specifically mentioning is that the back is up 75%. Now, 90% is straight up at a right angle. So 75% is pretty high. Okay, so they're not laying down with one pillow underneath them. They're pretty much almost up against the wall with a pillow behind their back. So they're just slightly tilted. Um, so you definitely don't want them flat on their back. I mean, if they go into full cardiac arrest, obviously you're going to have to do CPR. So that at that point, you're going to have to lay them down. But until that happens and they stop breathing, then you need to keep them up because it's easier for someone to breathe if they're sitting up. Exactly right. So that, if of course, if you find that someone has collapsed and is just flat on the ground and there is no pulse, then you have to, of course, begin CPR. That's we, right. we talked a little bit last week about CPR. Begin chest compressions, place the heel of your hand, palm down over the lower half of the breastbone at the level of the nipple, and put the other hand on top of the first hand, interlace your fingers, get directly over it, arm straight, and, and when he says press arm downward. Straight, keep your elbows locked. You're not bending your elbows right. down and up. This is a straight arm. Don't bend your elbows. And you're using your body. You're actually bending from your waist. And you're moving through your hips. And you're pumping and pumping and pumping. You're not... Two inches down. You're not bending over from just your shoulders. You're not bending your elbows. You're putting your whole body into this so that you can actually do a good compression. Right. Okay, and what you're not going to be doing is having a fear of breaking someone's ribs. You are not worried about that right now. You need to get the heart pumping that blood. Yes, you're, you're not concerned with that. If you don't push enough, you're not going to actually move any blood around. Right, you have to push uh, with each compression at least two inches down. That's pretty far, guys. That's if right. If you try to push on your, your friend or your partner around you, around you you know even a half an inch they're gonna look at you like what the heck are you doing two inches is is pretty deep of course i always mention that cpr in general is perhaps of more limited use in a survival setting than a normal time simply because you don't have the ability in a survival setting to get people to that intensive care unit to that cardiac care unit and so we have to face some hard realities with regards to that Having said that, it's still a good still skill. Still try. To, good skill to know. <laughs> give, and it, give it your Boy Scout try, everybody. Right. And uh, CPR, actually, some aspects of CPR are still very relevant in times of trouble. And one of the CPR methods that still has relevance in a survival settings is airway obstruction, a Heimlich maneuver. Absolutely. So when a foreign object, let's say usually food, I guess, uh, goes down the wrong way, it can cause an obstruction to airways, right? Or bubble gum. Right, exactly. (laughs) Hard candies, think about those peppermint candies. Right, sure, things like that, absolutely. And as a result, uh, air passage fails, patient can't breathe, victim can't breathe. Uh, The lack of oxygen intake soon causes loss of consciousness and death if rapid action isn't taken. And this 
event is easily identified due to a universal response that people have when they're choking and that's they become agitated and start pointing towards or they grab their throat you know the patient the, the victim is not going to be able to talk you need air passage to make sounds but it should be pretty clear what is going on with them if you are observant exactly and if they do try to speak and you hear like a like a wheeze mm-hmm. right they may still have a pretty significant blockage and you you may actually need to do the Heimlich if they can't cough this up. Right. That sound is called strider. Strider. Right. So and if it's really bad and the person's starting to turn blue and they have not been able to cough, the issue with coughing is you have to be able to get a lot of air into your chest. Think about when you get ready to cough. You go, <gasps> well, if you can't go, <gasps> Before you're coughing, there's no no force behind the cough. Right. So if they can't get the air in, they're not going to be able to cough it out. So, you know, after a few seconds, if they're not able to cough, you're telling them you need to cough, 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 you need to cough. If they're not able to do it, you may still have to do this Heimlich maneuver. Don't think just because you're hearing a little bit of, you know, that, that they're okay. Because they may not be getting enough oxygen for their brain and for their organs, and they may still pass out. So don't just say, oh, you're fine, it'll be okay, don't worry about it. You need to stay with that person very closely. You need to be looking directly at their eyes, look for signs that they're they're not getting enough oxygen, and you may have to do this Heimlich maneuver anyway. That's right. In in those circumstances, the patient will begin to turn sort of blue. They'll turn blue first around the lips. That's something something that you need to definitely keep a close eye on. Yep, you'd be staring straight at their lips. Look at their eyes. If they start to have this panic look that tells you that they're not getting enough oxygen, you're going to be doing the Heimlich maneuver. That's right. And in that case, what I want you to do is you want to get you. To, I want to get you behind the victim. And I want you to make a fist with your right hand, place your fist around the patient, above their belly button, but below their breastbone, what they call the sternum. Unlike CPR, when we told you to put your hands above the sternum a couple inches, this is actually below it. You're going into the soft tissue just below the sternum. Right. Above the belly button, below the breastbone. Still soft, though. Then wrap your other arm around the patient. Grab your fist, which should have the thumb pointing inward, pointing into the belly of the person, and grab that fist with your other hand. Now, make sure your arms are positioned just below the rib cage, and with a forceful upward motion, thrust your fist abruptly into the abdomen. And you may have to do this several times before you dislodge the foreign body. Now, if, if your patient loses consciousness because you haven't been able to unlodge, dislodge the obstruction, well, that person needs to be put flat on their back. You straddle them across the hips. You open their mouth and just make sure you just can't remove the object manually. That's always a possibility. But if you can't, give several upward abdominal thrusts with the heels of your palm locked one above another, and that has to be be, uh, just below the breastbone again and pushing straight up. And again, it's that same locked elbow. You're throwing your body into this. Don't don't bend your elbows and use your arms because your shoulders are not strong enough to give a forceful thrust. You want to lock your elbows and you want to throw your whole body into this. Okay, We're not talking about little thrusts here. 
You have got to save this person's life. They are blocked. They are not breathing. And they're going to die if you can't get it out. So you have got to put your body into this. You are not being nice. You need to thrust hard and push in. Absolutely right. And then uh, check the oral cavity again if, if they're still not completely breathing because you still you might still have partially dislodged a foreign object. Now, a good method for sweeping the mouth is actually taking your finger and starting on one, inside the mouth on one side of the cheek, inside, and sweeping across the tongue with the tip of your finger at the back of their mouth and then going up the other side of the cheek so that you're starting on one side and sweeping across. What you're trying to do is maybe... Take your finger and, and flick something out. If you feel something, maybe, you know, it started to come out and you could get it the rest of the way out. Right. Now, if that all <clears throat> fails, then you may have to go on to do a tracheotomy. We talked about that two or three shows ago, yes. maybe three or four shows ago. Look it ago. up in Just, the archives. If you look in the archives, you'll see it in big giant letters, tracheotomy, as one of the topics we discussed. You can and, either find that on the iTunes archives or also a blog talk right? archives. And you can find it in our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. Of course. Which is available on Amazon. <laughs> now, how about if you have somebody that's just fainting? Let's say when a person collapses, you really don't know that it's whether it's a life-threatening event or not. Of course. But most of the time, if it's in an area, especially if it's in a warm area, fainting is probably just what happened. It's also known scientifically as syncope. Syncope is the word for it. Literally. And it can occur any time. I'm sorry. That, no, no, go ahead. That there is a decreased blood flow to the brain. Yes, we've actually experienced that a couple of times during our lectures and even though we give disclaimers yeah. that the images you might see in the next hour or so may be disturbing to some people, uh, there are still folks that, you know, think they're tough and that's not going to bother them. <laughs> and maybe they haven't eaten or they haven't had enough fluids and it's a little hot in the room. You know, there are conditions where people faint more frequently yeah. than others. If well, it does happen, yeah. And uh, we've had... Uh, a real strong, tough, you know, in shape guy pass out. Remember the family of yep. two? The policeman, yeah. Yeah, and uh, totally in shape. The guy was like in great shape, but I don't think he had eaten the right foods. And uh, we also had a, a woman, an older right. woman, pass out. So, right. and then there was someone else. We've had two or three, and, um, you know, it happens. Right. It happens to anybody. It can happen now, to anyone. Now, most of the time when it happens, it happens because of what we call a vasovagal reaction. And that's just basically fancy talk for a rapid drop in blood pressure that you get as a result of a sudden shock. Like, in other words, fear or pain or or dehydration. Or the or, picture of a wound. Or a picture of a, <laughs> a terrible wound. wound. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, a victim like that will be feel vaguely nauseous, they'll get lightheaded, and they'll have a visual zoning out, almost like a tunnel vision, before they lose consciousness you know, I, altogether. I have never fainted. I, have you? Have you ever fainted? No, but I felt I have been... I've been close to fainting. I, I remember... both of us have had that. You, you describe your feeling. Well, I had... I had the flu, uh -huh. and I was uh, a resident, and there was nobody else. Had to work. I had to work. This is medical professionals. I had to work. We and, have to work, no matter was, what. Death, uh, death will only be the only, right. the reason, only was, reason you can call in sick. <laughs> right, and that was, it, it was the kind of shift that you spent 36 hours on, uh -huh. and then you spent 12 hours off. 
And you have the flu. And I have the flu. Oh, my gosh. And so uh, I... How many hours into work did this happen? Right after I did a very difficult delivery. How many hours have you you been working, though? I had probably working at least 24 hours straight. Already? Wow. And uh, I began to feel like I zoned out. So I I didn't want people to see, which was the stupidest thing that you could possibly do. It's embarrassing. You feel embarrassed. It's natural. So I went into a stairwell, and, and I felt this tunnel vision as in I was beginning to not be able to see anything in the periphery. Yes. And so I was almost ready to drop, but I didn't somehow, and I just went out and drank did some you fluids. Sit, did you sit sat, down in the stairs? sat down. Were, but were you sitting in the stairway, yeah, or were you standing? Yeah, I wound up sitting on the floor. That's possibly why you were able to recover from it, because you got down. If you'd have maintained a standing position... You probably would have fainted, and I have felt that same thing. What happens is you start to lose the ability to think. You just kind of become a little confused. Foggy, yeah. Foggy, like kind of what's going on around me. You sort of almost like a detachment from what's happening around you. And then you start to lose the side visions. If you put your hands up by your face, you couldn't see them. And it becomes narrower and narrower and narrower. I have never actually passed out myself, but I have been very close a few times so if somebody does pass out what you want to do is you want to tap on the victim's shoulder ask them in a clear voice can you hear me are you okay and once it's clear the patient is not responding Mm -hmm. you take a look make sure they're breathing uh you check their pulse make sure there's a pulse if there's no pulse start cpr immediately if the person is breathing has a pulse to raise their legs about 12 inches from the ground that gets blood flow uh, to, the to, to increase into the vital organs yep. to the brain and uh, assess the patient of course for evidence of trauma they might have hurt themselves falling down that's <clears throat> that's certainly always possible if you're bleeding apply direct pressure to the wound uh, loose any constrictive clothing they might have if heat's a factor fan the patient uh, move them to a cooler area if you can. Cool cloths on the right. back of the neck. Very careful. Cool cloth on the back of the neck and is an ex- excellent idea. Yep. Uh, they should soon regain consciousness if it's just that, <clears throat> but observe them for a time before allowing them to get up. Even if they insist, they need to stay down for a little while. But it, but if they are awake and alert, once they are alert again, you could give them fluids. But don't give them any fluids until they are completely alert. And they can answer questions about right. who they are and what they ate and do you have diabetes. Right, things like that. Right. Do you, what do you think caused this? Because a right. lot of people will say, well, you know, this usually happens to me when I see the side of blood. Right. A lot of people know their bodies. Right. And what triggers them, I say, you know what, it was foolish of me. I knew this was probably going to happen, and I'm okay. And then you can feel more comfortable about what the cause was. Now, when people collapse for these reasons, it's a lot different than when they collapse because of a seizure. Now, a seizure is when electronic impulses in your brain misfire, and uh, it's also called a convulsion, and there are lots of different types, only some of which actually cause you to completely fall out. But in the most common version, you do. It's called the grand mal seizure. Mm-hmm. And the victim experiences uh, strange sensations called auras, which could be visual or auditory. You might almost like a hallucination or colors that you see. They see a lot, right, a lot yeah. of halo colors right. in their vision come up. Uh, some of them... Uh, Say that they smell things. Yes, yes. Before it happens, that's a uh, yeah, right. Exactly. They, ha- they have yeah. It's it's uh, their senses 
either seeing or, or smelling something right. unusual, and then they, they know that a seizure is probably coming. Right. Then they become unresponsive. <clears throat> they lose muscular bladder control. They fall on the floor. And your goal here is to prevent that person from injuring themselves or you during an episode. You want to keep everything, <coughs> and that's including tongue depressors in your fingers away from the victim's mouth. Most of the time, they tell people to stick a tongue depressor in the person's mouth so they don't bite their tongue. The, that could be dangerous for you, and it could be dangerous for them. So don't do that. Uh, the victim should not be physically restrained, but remove nearby objects that could wind up toppling over and causing injury. If you can put something soft under the head, take a pillow, a sweater, somebody's t-shirt, socks, anything that's soft to put, because the head is usually bouncing around. I mean, we've seen quite a few seizures, unfortunately, in our lifetime. And you need to put something underneath this person's head because they're bopping around. They don't know what they're doing. They're not doing this on purpose. And you need to protect them from hurting themselves. That does not mean jumping on top of them and and using your arms and legs to restrain them like a wrestler. This is not what we're talking about. You need to pad them and protect them because they're going to be moving and you should not stop them from moving. You could injure this person. But what you want to prevent is them from injuring themselves. So now, something under their head. Right. Now, an exception to not gra- to grabbing the person is when the person is standing. In that case, of course, and they start looking like they're about to seize, you should grab them to allow them to be lowered gently, gently to the floor. Gently and safely. To the floor, right. And what you need to do is you need to get your arms around them and you need to get down on the floor with them, which means usually bending your knees and getting them off to the side. Usually you almost like lay them down like you're laying a baby in a, in a crib. With your arm around their head, and you gently lay them to the ground. Hopefully, you're able to scream out for somebody to put something on the ground as you're getting them down, but safely to the ground. Because again, if somebody bouncing around as they're standing, they may throw themselves on a table, on, on the edge of a chair. I mean, we're talking about serious um, head injuries or, or broken bones could that's, occur. That's correct. You know, and afterwards, uh, they. People who have had seizures are don't just wake, wake up, up and say, suddenly, right. "Okay, I'm fine," and then they go back to work. Right? I mean, they have to go through a phase called post-ictal. Right. P o s t i c t a l. Confusion. They're confused. Right. They don't have good coordination. You right. definitely don't want to let these people stand up and try to walk around. Right. Exactly. They don't have it all together yet. Lots of times I just, they just seem like they're asleep. They even start snoring. Yes. So I, I remember seeing a we lot of people We had one in New York that. City yes. when we were there sure, I remember. last year absolutely. for a, a conference. Yep, absolutely. That was very frightening. Well, the, the thing about this guy when he fell um, off of his chair, he was behind, he was in the back row. So no one saw him starting to have this problem. We just heard a big thump. He went to the ground, which of course we were all afraid he had injured his head right and then he started having a seizure right what is with people doing that around us around us (laughs) that was not our fault though they were not our slides up there (laughs) um but he was very old yes he was an older he was he didn't look like he was in very good shape either what we were fearing is that he was having a little bit of seizure but it was going to move into something more serious right we were very scared 
I, I that think was that, sort was, of scary. that was the most frightening thing. And he didn't come to. It took quite a while for the New York ambulance. Oh my goodness gracious! To get there, I know. Yeah, they had to go up a narrow elevator. Remember that? Yeah. And they had to bring a special chair because the um, stretcher would not fit in this tiny little old New York building. Right. And they had to put him in this chair. Remember this chair and strap him in? But the guy's completely out of it. And they're strapped in and his head's falling over. Right. It was, it oh, my gosh. so awful. All right. But well, he ended up being fine. He ended up recovering. And this, I'd, yeah. say, I'd say it was a good 40 minutes before he was out of our sight. Right. Because we stayed with him the entire time. And the, the medical um, personnel, I would have to say, were very nice about allowing us as medical professionals to still be around and be involved in watching over him. Yeah, sometimes they, they didn't kick us out. Yeah. No, sometimes we've been on um, car accident scenes and the second uh, one EMT walks up, you know, oh, we've got the scene, you have to leave. And we're like, no, we're you know here to help with doctor and nurse physician. No, we've got it, you have to leave. You, ha- you have to step away. And they're like quite rude. <laughs> I know. Uh, this What's is in that? Florida, though. It, All right. If it, I'm sure there are very nice ones now, in other states. <laughs> now, remember, we thought he had a stroke. We did. Because he he was not moving one, one side, side of his body. And his body. face seemed droopy. His face seemed a little droopy. And he was not with it at all. Even after 40 minutes. He seemed pretty... He couldn't speak. Yeah, he seemed pretty classic for a stroke. And a stroke occurs when a blood clot uh, occludes a blood vessel in the brain. It also can occur when a blood vessel bursts in the brain, causing a hemorrhage. And uh, usually begins with head pain. Followed by, and and he, he looked like, if I remember correctly, he looked like he was beginning to have it looked like he was having a headache and then it's followed by what happened to him which was weakness numbness he was paralyzed on one side oh, yeah, he couldn't of the move. face and body i forget which yeah. side it was I can't and he remember. was actually i thought he was able for a period of time at least just to, at the end right to he was kind of responding with responding, like grunts right but, but not words right we we'd say we'd ask him a question you know grunt or make a sound right. if and in a str- if you have a wife right if, if you know, do you have children? Where right. you know, we and got in his a wallet. Stroke. And in a stroke, that's what happens. You lose muscular control. You lose the ability to speak many times. Yeah. And that, that's why we thought that's what happened to him. And I don't know how it turned out that he got so lucky that it turned he, out to be a seizure. Whatever. Instead. It was just a, a Not miracle. That any of it was. It was lucky. a miracle. That's he. Right. We really. I mean, usually we've walked away from these scenes saying, "Okay, everybody's going to be all right." I think you and I both had the sinking feeling that he was not going to be all right. Right. And it was a miracle. And it was he a miracle. He, like, woke up the next day. So, good. all's well that ends well. <clears throat> and all's well that ends well with this show because we are out of time. No. You've been listening. How'd that happen? You've been listening <laughs> to Dr. Bones and, and Nurse, Nurse Amy, Amy. <laughs> on the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.